listening to the Grassroots Network podcast exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome to the Grassroots Network podcast, proudly sponsored by the Grassroots Outlet. Our mission is to provide football coaches, players, and clubs with quality coaching equipment at the best possible prices. Our brands include Nike, Puma, Precision, and Diamond. You can find our complete selection of products at www.thegrassrootsoutlet.com. Use promo code TGN10 for 10% off at checkout with free delivery on orders over £150. That's www.thegrassrootsoutlet.com supplying the game. Hello everyone and welcome to the Grassroots Network podcast. Today I'm joined by Star Development UK Director Stuart Warrington. Stuart is also a parent who has children playing in grassroots football and the nature of his business I thought it'd be a fantastic opportunity to bring him on and look at it from a little bit of a a different perspective. So Stuart do you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself and and what you've been up to? Yeah well first of all thanks for having me on. Um, It's great to see you. Um, So yeah, what what's my background? So I'll give you the short story of I'm ex-military. So I, I went through school, didn't really like education too much, found out I got was dyslexic at the end of college, but was doing sport by then. I went to university, did sport, and then found out through the RAF and the youth group of the RAF, the Air Training Corps, um, that I could be a physical training instructor in the Air Force. So I always joke with some people, it's, it's a bit like being a PE teacher with a little bit less paperwork. <laughs> so um, I went in and did my dream job. Um, but quite quickly, I was able to specialize. And you can specialize in one of three areas. One is a parachute jump instructor, um, which I actually went to go and do. But it wasn't until I was in that I realized there was another area that fitted me a little bit better. Um, the other one was remedial instructor. But I'd done my degree in sports, and I didn't want to go into that education side again. And um, so the, the third one, which I did was an adventure training instructor. So the military used the outward bounds as their medium to develop individuals and teams and um, through teamwork, leadership, communication, et cetera, um, taking them out on the hill, having them for the week. And that was across all three services from basic trainees up to special forces. So operated in the UK, in Europe, um, where we are now on the border of Wales, we use Snowdonia as our playground, if you like. <laughs> um, so I did 12 years. Um, I've got young family. We had three at the time, fourth on the way. And I'd already been away for six months. I'd done four months. And in around about the time that Isaac, who is now five, would have been roughly about one, I probably was going to be due to go away again for six months. So we thought... <coughs> They, we wanted to come back to the, to the northwest, yeah. Um, so we 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 moved. Had the two year countdown to it, and I started um, two businesses. One is a boot camp and personal training business that my wife now runs um, locally and around here, and then the other one is Star Development UK. So bringing that leadership and development training into the corporate world, um, and it's not your stereotypical team building. It's having people in the room who are going to test you, develop you, ask you the questions, have those light bulb moments, tell those stories that you are going to sit up and listen to and step away from your norm in your senior leadership team, directorship, management team, 
and 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 we make that creative as well um so we can take people out into north wales we've done a no agenda day for a company recently in north wales and they commented how nice it was not to have a structure and just to have a walk and a talk and obviously we had coaching conversations along Mm. the way but they were like that was really useful to like take (laughs) us out of our norm Mm. um so yeah that's a whistle stop sort of how i've arrived here (laughs) oh that's brilliant i think one of the main things we were talking about beforehand was with this being a grassroots um, podcast and football, do you see things within your business and the way you develop um, those leadership roles and team building? Do you see things that grassroots coaches could do within their own settings, within their own sorts of facilities when they are training? I mean, we said about before about trying to give tips and advice into, into the coaches that you currently, you know, your sons are under. But what's that kind of like for you? Can you see things that you can implement into their training? And has any of the coaches ever taken that advice and used it? Yeah, we, we were joking before that I, I don't say anything. Mm. Um, because in uh, being a parent with my skill set background, I kind of would love to get involved. But we've got four children, <laughs> which would like to support all of them. And I'm very... Um, sort of thankful for the coaches giving their time their experience their organization i know it's not just that training Mm. um and i've kind of just stepped back from that because i don't want to be that dad (laughs) who goes do you fancy do it would you because i've seen it i've seen it out there people giving their almost like i sometimes call it and i've joked with several people because i like having the conversation around this subject yeah when people want to have that conversation or know what I do, we have great conversations. It's not advice. I think you should do this. I, I know things. Yeah. I, I don't do that. <clears throat> um, but there's definitely similarities. And I sort of give the um, example of me coming out of the military thinking, oh, like, who am I to step into business? Because I've been in the military bubble, as I call it. And I haven't got any business experience. I've not been in a boardroom for 20 years and who who am I to? And I've had somebody comment about I'm I'm younger <laughs> than somebody that has been in business for 20 years and maybe got yeah. to that directorship and who's this young whippersnapper? I love it, I love it when they say that because I'm nearly <laughs> four, I'm 40 next year. <laughs> but there is that stigma attached, but ultimately it's gone completely the other way. People love me and my associates and the company coming in freshening things up and and it's the storytelling element of it it's not we're not there to tell them how to run their businesses we have got that focus and direction on have you developed yourself in the last 12 months Mm. can we add some value can we get you thinking differently can you have those light bulb moments i like it when people say "Oh, oh i've not thought like that before or I've not been asked that question before. So how's that related to the grassroots football? You see, or I've seen from a distance, people doing it really well when they've told stories and they've got that interest. And I've learned, because I've got it wrong, (laughs) in in my kids going through football and wanting to tell them stuff. Mm. And and I think I've, that was maybe me 12 months ago. with my wife giving me the nudge every now and again and, and actually trying to talk to my sons on the pitch. 
Um, because as soon as they have that interaction, their head will go down because mm. you're interfering with their space. So I consciously now, um, at the right appropriate times, have conversations and ask the question. So it's only when they trigger, well, what do you think? That I'll go, well, this is what I think. This is what I saw. And I will almost back up and support what they've then said mm. or what the coaches said. Because I'm really interested in what, and I will ask, um, I was going to nearly said the players then, my, my sons, <laughs> <laughs> they have names. Um, I'll ask, obviously, my youngest son is just, he's only five. Yeah. So he's, it's great here that just seeing him run around is great. <laughs> <laughs> but even then you've got that little bit of a, yeah. I want to say something, mm. but, uh, and, but you don't, mm. like, you know, it's not right. <laughs> um, but it's kind of just backing up and supporting because, because what I've, learned and i see all the time happening is that as parents we're interacting with our children a little bit like they don't know mm. and like they know when they've done something well they know when they've done something that they maybe shouldn't have done they know when things are going well they know when things so they don't need us to sort of point that out um they need us to maybe be interested and support and develop their awareness of what's going on around them and that links into my big passion, what I do with the business. I say that what I do is facilitation. So we're not telling people, we're facilitating a conversation and creating an environment for people to share and talk and, and develop. But we're also <coughs> um, creating that interest and intrigue. And then that then helps them go, oh, right, yeah. Because what ultimately happens is people don't, develop themselves and that but no that's not that's not right actually so you know yourself where time just goes doesn't it so if you're not learning and developing you suddenly find that six months have gone by yeah and like what have i done 100 percent. Yeah. so and having conversations with coaches um at lots of different levels it's so important that it's a journey and that journey a bit like us adults <laughs> there's twists and turns ups and downs and it's the same as a player um, I've actually started playing football myself in the last probably eight months here at Vauxhall's mm. on a Monday night. And I tell the boys about my football performance. It's not been great. <laughs> um, but sometimes I have a good game, sometimes I don't. But I'll be telling the kids about how I'm going yeah. through my ups and downs. And they're, and they're obviously really intrigued now on a Tuesday morning when they wake up. Mm -hmm. How's your football? And, I'll, yeah. and then we'll have those because it, it encourages that awareness um of of what they're involved in as well mm. and, and i'm going through the same sometimes i really encourage other parents to have that kind of well, put put yourself in their shoes and and i've, I've seen some really quite bad examples yeah <laughs> of, of going of, of doing it wrong yeah i mean that sort of awareness from from the boys and you having that open and honest conversation with them it normalizes um it normalizes you know, the mistakes and the errors that come through playing football and the problem solving element. I think um, as a coach and philosophy, what you were saying before about facilitating players, uh, facilitate, facilitating people to have the conversations, that's all coaching is. Football coaching at a grassroots level should be getting these kids to understand how to solve their own problems. Okay, you can't get past X, Y and Z player. How do you do it? What's the next sort of process? But it's not for you to go, you've got to do this, 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 and this. It's okay. 
if, say for, if, for example, if your son comes off the pitch and he's going, I'm having a tough time with this, I can't do this, I can't do this. And it's like, well, have a little think about it and what's the next step? What's the smaller step? Okay, you can't do this. Well, what else can you do? Mm. What else can you kind of control? And I think that that facilitation and, and conversation and education around it, more coaches and parents, instead of, as we know at the drive on the way home where it's, oh, you should have done this, you should have done this, which if you are one of those parents, please change that conversation. It should be, did you have fun today? How do you feel that the game went? What mm. are your thoughts? And exactly what you've just said of, if you can be honest with your child, like, I don't forget the good game last night. Yeah. And then they can, instead of feel ashamed and lower their self-esteem when they're in that car ride on the way home, it's like, no, I, I actually didn't have a good game. Okay, well, what 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 could be the difference? What can be? And again, it's that conversation and facilitation. Is this I've something, actually got yeah. um, a real good... This is one of the things I really wanted to mention as well when I was thinking about what I, could I give parents as like a value add without being they kind of... this Because this is what we deliver into the corporate world. Mm. So let's give an example of like you're running a project in the business world um, it's and you've probably heard of this already, but it, I think it's really important for parents to hear is that motivational versus developmental feedback. And I'm really conscious of it. I don't get it right all the time, mm. but I'm really conscious of it. So when we finish something, it should be motivational, like identifying what's what's gone right, um, how we're feeling. We've got something across the line. Brilliant. Um but then capturing those moments of development, but not actually honing in on them. Mm -hmm. Because it's only when we then go to the next project that we go, right, remember these points that we need to look out for to get better at. Because what happens is that when we do the developmental feedback after a project, you've got, you can't do anything about it. So put that into a football context. Mm -hmm. You've got a game or training. So when you're, Finishing a game or training, like you said, have gone. How do you feel? How what went well? <coughs> What's the one thing you did right? Like what? Where did you you did have an impact? And then park that. But then identify what did your coach say, but not really settle on that. Just mm. are you? Did you listen to the debrief? Um. Then after training or after the game, the next game, that's when you do the developmental feedback so remember what do you what do you need to work on i always say to the boys what what's your key what do you want to work on mm. today um off the back of what you want to do not what i want you to do if they ask me because again it's a little bit of a thing they do ask like what do you think i should work on i only give them one thing yeah so I'll, they'll have one thing i'll say one thing because they've asked me if they don't ask me i don't give them yeah and then obviously they've got the coach that gives the tactics etc so that's really important because they can then do something about it straight away there's no point in doing that in the car on the way home because then they're going to the house. They're going. It's probably two, three days till they train. Mm. It's another week till they have a game. <clears throat> so there's no point. If you go into that developmental feedback straight away, it it breeds that negativity. It breeds that, well, that's great, but I can't do anything about it and mm. I'm actually leaving on a negative. Yeah. So that's a direct correlation between how I see effective coaching and communication in the corporate world to how I see it in grassroots. It's yeah. all transferable. Do you feel that the that sort of approach where don't ask, don't tell, and also the 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 honest um sort of directions in terms of the motivational and the the other side of it, that builds trust with with your children 
And I think that would have a massive effect on self-esteem while playing, where players are, are free to understand that when they either leave the pitch, whether it be from a parent point of view and a family point of view, that they've got that environment and that sort of safe area where they can be honest about the performances and they can they can talk to parents about it because one thing I see quite a lot of is children and you probably see it yourself, they look at the parents for approval. They look rather than the coaches or anything like that, they haven't got that freedom to just play, enjoy and learn the game and develop in the correct way. They're constantly looking for approval yeah. and and looking for that self-esteem boost from an external source when it could really come from internally from their mm. own sort of uh, drive and development. Yeah, I've even in the short time that the the older two boys have been playing football, um, Lucas has been in some good teams and regional teams, etc. He's been at Everton for ten weeks and stuff, and we we were in a a, a team, and um, one of the one of the parents was very much telling on the sideline so it, it was honestly it was comical if it wasn't if it was on like a sketch and it didn't have a child involved because i felt really sorry for the child yeah. so that the the parent was coaching from the sideline and and the the child bless him was looking at his parent all the time but then when he looked at the parent it was like look at the ball watch the game concentrate on the game mm. and then the next sentence do this do that do the other and i was like what do you want him to do? Like, mm. do you want him to look at you or take on, do you want him to play the game? <clears throat> so, and then I'd had a conversation with um, somebody in the game re- regards this. And they said that what happens is the pitches get bigger and the players get further away from the parents. And you notice the players that go lo- get lost on the pitch then because they either get used to it because mm. they have they're enjoying the fact that they can't see the parent or can't hear the parent and hopefully through on the other side of the pitch for example or their development in football stops because mm. they've been so used to being told what to do yeah um and and isaac has said that he started his under fives just kicking a ball around with some structure which is great mm. um but there are the parents who literally stand next to the goal and tell and and i know there's a, a bit of a development of helping, supporting. Them. But then we had an experience with our eldest who, when he was younger, he just didn't take to football. Yeah. And we just said, well, football's not for him. Mm-hmm. We stopped him playing because there was a little bit of a, come on, you'll play football. Like me yeah. and Jen have both got sports backgrounds. You'll, you'll play and do sport. And then there was a bit of bias from parents going on there. But we said, no, like, we, he obviously go and do something else. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until our second child, Lucas, started playing that he was like, Oh, right. I can I play in the back, back garden and, and he loves it now. So there's that big thing about the impact of tell and like you were saying, there's, there's kids who will fall out of love with football because it's from an external pressure point, yeah. which is really sad. Yeah. And it's happened. It happens from such a young age. So if any of your, peer, if any of the, your children have, have started playing football, we run we run a session on a Saturday morning, similar to what Vauxhall's do, but we do it for Bromber and Eastham when we do under fours and fives and then we do under sixes. The whole season, the whole sort of year is spent prepping them for playing league football and then incorporating the parents into that journey where it's parents' education. We had, <laughs> I, I love telling this story because it makes me feel so much better. We had um, 
we were coming to the back end of coaching these kids. They were going into league football in the August when the season was starting and we were at the back end of April when we were about to hand them off into the teams and the newly designated coaches. And one of the parents, we did a mini tournament. We did a little mini five-a-side. So the coaches all had the teams and I, we, all our coaches, when we used to do the sessions, we were referee. So respect barriers up. We treat it like proper league matches and there's a parent on the sideline um, telling his child what to do. Now, every other pitch is quiet encouragement and stuff like that. And he's going, do this, do this, go there. You're supposed to be there. Game finishes, left it over. And I said, do us a favor, mate. I said, are you, have you put your hand up to coach? Have you, have you decided to help the coaches out? And he went, no. And I went, well, I think you best be quiet. I said, because you're not going to do any favors to these children. Let them play football, let them enjoy it and let them develop it. Now, the praise, <laughs> rightfully or wrongfully, the praise that we got for that approach was applauded by six or seven of the other parents. Now, that little sort of snip in the bud early. I don't know if it's had any effect. I've been to watch games since, but I don't know whether that parent has continued or he's rearranged his thinking of that one interaction. I don't think he will. Mm. But the main source of the of the story is we said to the coaches and we said to every group of parents, you've got to let them play. You can't give instruction. Don't be that parent. Mm. They're here for the love of the game. And the coaches have been given that sort of instruction from the football club as well. And that story to me is really powerful that this six-year-old child has been given instruction. He's been told to do this, 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 and this. And yet he hasn't put his hand up to go and coach that team. Mm. He's stepped back and gone, I ain't doing it, which is very unfair. And then to be barking orders, that for me is a massive issue. I had a, one of the guys on the last podcast and he was we were talking about what needs to be done from a parent point of view so from your business point of view and how you can tra- can train people because i'm guessing you've probably come across managers directors of businesses who probably treat it the same way or very similar perhaps yeah it, from a business perspective we've had a, a real interesting 12 months because we i, I started when I started the business as it is now, it was off the back of COVID. Obviously, when I left the military five years ago, I didn't realize we were going to have this three-year sort of interlude, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) So we're only just starting to develop on this year throughout obviously becoming a thriving business. And we've actually settled on the, the fact that we're actually working with a lot of companies where on the face of it, you'd think they, they didn't need our assistance some of the companies that we've had interactions with that we could have had a massive impact with, um, we could have done some really good work. They, they weren't ready. So we're actually working with companies where you think, actually, they don't need us, but they the reason why they're really good is because they have that mm. external factor of experts coming in because we've got <coughs> the ability to put somebody who's ex-military in. We've got um, Olympic medalists on our associate pool. We've got ex-CEOs of businesses who have retired, but they want to give back and they'll, they'll do the odd, if the, if the client matches and the, the brief matches, they'll come in and do some work for us. So when you were saying then about the, the parents not saying that, it's funny, isn't it? It almost links into companies that we work with who are 
getting it right and doing it really well, they welcome it. Mm. Parents that go to the elite level, I say parents, children that go to the elite level and their parents, it, it's, it's stopped quite quickly. But when we went to Everton with Lucas, it was parents going to here and you do not say anything from the sideline. And it's almost then accepted because you're in that environment. Yeah. So, oh, we, oh, we'll take it seriously now. Mm. So well, why does it need that <laughs> Yeah. for you to then think, like you, you have that stop moment of, okay, because I'm being told by an authority and, and it's that kind of, it should be that respect. I said about, I've got a lot of admiration for coaches who at grassroots level give up their time you sometimes forget that these people have all got jobs. Like you mm. probably do, do. You know what your parent who is doing your team does, because mm. a lot of them are business owners. They're senior yep. managers. They're they're people in their own right. They're not just giving up their time just to coach football. They've got a real passion and interest, and they want to develop themselves. So I think people don't realise to a level of what that takes mm. and what that what journey they're on to learn and develop as well. Because <clears throat> again, there's a lot of sometimes questioning about what coaches are doing, and well, like I said before, I don't, I don't say anything because it's not my place. Mm. Like, uh, I, I, I was a bit nervous about doing this podcast because people <laughs> hear hear some of my thoughts, but um, I just think it needs to be that realization of it's a complex thing, isn't it? Mm. It's a complex thing for, for us adults, never mind the children, and that that should be the main focus mm. and just fun and enjoyment is the key because the learning will come um it's different for every child when they take on boards or wh whether it's the right thing for them I, I i think there's a lot of children that are still in football that maybe they'd be better served in other sports and that's probably quite controversial to say but mm -hmm. it, it's not the priority of the parent like the the, the child should be the focus and like yeah. i said with ethan he ended up coming back to it and mm. what a better way than having what was it 18 months of just dragging him to football training. Oh, this is what we've decided as parents yeah. that you'll do. So you'll do it. And so it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think um, we've had it with our daughter. I mean, given what my profession is and stuff like that, everyone just tends to assume that she's going to be a footballer. Mm. <laughs> and that kind of thing. I mean, she's been on a football pitch since she was six years old, uh, six months old. But now we took her to a couple of our sessions. And she she plays football. She kicks the ball. She enjoys it, and she sits. I mean, again, this is really difficult. It's four. We tried her with it. From my point of view, I will never heap any pressure on her to play football. From from my point of view, I'm going to have to be the one who takes the team. So selfishly, I don't want her to play football. <laughs> I'd rather take her to gymnastics or dancing yeah. or uh, Thai boxing, jujitsu, anything other than football is fine with me. But if she so happens to to choose that path, then it's it's as simple as. And I think a lot of we because we do a lot of group sessions. We do we do football introductions for children who are looking to get into teams, and we do general football sessions throughout the week. You can spot a mile off a child who does not want to play football. It's mm. really, really easy to to pick it up. But you can just tell by a parent barking, not so much orders, but going, yeah, go and play, go and play, go and do this. And you're like, I think you need to have a conversation with the child about, about why you're actually turning up and what they actually want to do. 
because there's so many times i mean i had it when we were growing up uh, when we were when i was taking my team i i've coached my team since under sixes we've had a couple of kids on the way who just have no had no interest in football and you'd sit down with the with the parents and you'd be like look i think you need to have a, a genuine conversation with the child about what they want and like no no they love it they love it and you're like <laughs> they stood on the pitch where you're trying to give encouragement with the twiddling thumbs looking at airplanes and they look bored and you're made out to be the bad guy for mm. for for opposing the question of maybe something else could be tried mm. and that's not to strive your team to be better but that's just for the benefit of the child in front of you yeah and you've just yeah. reminded me actually of something else that we're very conscious of doing um is giving let's let's say you've got a child who is big into their football I think there's a big benefit to doing other things as well. Yeah. So both of the children at some point, and I say both because obviously Isaac's only just started, and our daughter Bella who goes to gymnastics and she's on swimming, I think variety is key. Like they're, they're, They can get so many transferable skills from different sports. And I can't remember whether it was Rio Ferdinand or Gary Neville or one of them saying about what they did when they were younger. Getting up and at five, running, chasing. Yeah, even like, yeah. well, we're conscious of it in summer holidays mm. of sometimes we will choose and, and they will ask to go to football camps with friends. But sometimes it's like Lucas has just started doing trampolining um, because the other children have got a couple of clubs. Like Ethan does football and jiu-jitsu. Um, it, it is a logistical nightmare, by the way, our family. Oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> it's a good job yeah. I got military logistics in there, <laughs> even though it wasn't military logistics. Um but there's not a lot of time in the diary, let's say. But I think variety is key to give their brain a rest from one thing all the time. Um, but let's just choose like Ethan with the jujitsu. It's um, respect, discipline, it's strength, it's flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, Lucas with um, trampolining, another group of friends, um, flexibility, strength. So it, it kind of, I think if you had that, thought process of what am I and, and yeah we have a sports bias in our family I don't get it wrong but I think sports as a whole I'm obviously an advocate for sport growing up it gives you a lot of skills and um, all the skills that we work with the business and um, just people skills mm. Um, I think they're so important to give your child that ability to to communicate talk focus and strive for something either individually or as a team. I think there's so many things that in 5, 10, 15 years' time, when they start going to employment, it's scary talking about that, mm. but they, they've already turned to be 9 and 11. I don't know where that time went. <laughs> <coughs> but, um, but yeah, I think there's so many transferable skills. And then into likes of education, having that kind of, break mm. and giving them that headspace bit of fresh air bit of movement it, it, it's all positive yeah i think um i've 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 always said something but it's probably not controversial but in when our daughter grows up and from me and my wife when we have more children a martial arts will be a non-negotiable sort of activity now there's a whole host of martial arts. There's judo, jiu-jitsu, kickboxing, tie boxing, uh, normal boxing, karate. There is endless possibilities mm. of martial art. But just in terms of 
the benefits that it brings in terms of your child feeling comfortable when they go to high school, being able to live in different social circles, being able to understand that they are not made of glass and they mm. will not shatter. They will not obviously have any sort of issues bullying because they will have the appropriate and necessary skills to defend or stand up for themselves. Mm. And that for me has always been important. Like obviously you mentioned jujitsu there, just especially for a, for a little girl, for my little girl, being able to, it's probably again more controversial, being able <laughs> to defend yourself with someone else's clothing yeah. and in tight areas and tight spaces, it's valuable. And it's not just the physical elements, it is the the mental elements that it gives you, that confidence, that bravery, that, that self-awareness and self-esteem boost that most kids don't get. I mean, Americans have got a big way if they were to introduce wrestling into schools, children would probably be mentally stronger. Or if there was a martial art on the, a curriculum, yeah. it's don't get me wrong, it's probably a nightmare to sort out in schools, but I, I guarantee there'd be less children being bullied and having yeah. issues and stuff. Um, but with the different sports comes the different benefits. Now you look at the FA uh, four corner model, physical, tactical, psychological um physical tactical psychological there's another one in there somewhere i can't help you out unfortunately there's there's another one in there (laughs) but they're not just football skills they're life skills as well they're all the different parts and like you say with swimming trampolining it's different kids with different interests it's broadening and most children don't get to do that nowadays. Mm. It's I, it was yeah. really evident, like going off football. But I, I think it happens. I actually know it happens because the boys have both spoken about it, about what they love about that group of friends that they've developed with, and they have moved a couple of teams. But yeah, they're able to form friendships and teams very quickly. Their children. Mm. That there's no sort of. <clears throat> at this age they've not quite got to that kind of where there might be a little bit of friction they're all in it together but it was more evident with Bella going to gymnastics is that they're they're in a big gymnastics hall and it's a bit I suppose it's a bit like football as well that they do see older teams and they're developing and they're playing around and they can look at and they're interested in watching other teams training playing but it was very evident that Bella, actually last week when I went to watch her, that they were doing what the coach told them to do or was helping them get a better skill or strength. But when they were lining up, they were actually helping each other with their, their cartwheels while they were waiting. They weren't just standing there yeah. doing nothing. So I loved that connection of developing each other, helping each other, because they all know. They've, they don't need to be told breathe in, breathe out, step forward. Uh, they've got, like I said earlier on, they know more than you think and they've got all the skills and the knowledge. They just need a bit of repetition and they'll only be focused on that repetition and turn up the stuff if they're then interested or they're finding it fun. Mm. <coughs> and, it, and it just kind of, and again, the um, the coaches that we've been lucky enough to be with, they have encouraged that sort of self-learn as well. Um it's not necessarily just your responsibility linking back into my business work. Like how often does a manager or a leader or a CEO of a business think they need to have all the answers? 
happens all the time. Yeah. Like the pressure and the overload of you taking on more responsibility, leading more people, it leads to you thinking you have to do everything for everybody. You have to know all the answers. Um, I had on my podcast um, the global CEO of WD40 company, the, the blue cam, mm-hmm. the red lid. And the two real standout moments that he mentioned was he got to the global um, CEO ship and went from Australia to the, the States. And he said, the three things I said most often was, I, I don't know. And he literally was like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know how to help you. And then he realized that he needed to learn more about leadership. So he took himself off to university to study leadership. Mm. So you would think getting to the global CEO of a large multi-million pound company that you'd have everything yeah. ticked, but, <laughs> but you don't. No. So it's great hearing those stories because it's related to a child. It's related yeah. to us and we can all help and develop each other yeah. going forward. Yeah. I think is, is there anything specifically you do with your own children that, I think we gave a tip before for for parents, but is there anything that you try and instill in in the guys playing football and their own sporting journeys that that you think would be a good sort of takeaway for everyone? Yeah, so I'm glad you said that because there was one thing that's just come back to my mind. Um, The use of language, like how and what you're actually saying. So the best example, and I'll give you a footballing observation as well, um, (coughs) is... When you say to somebody or you say to yourself that something's hard, like if something's hard, it's hard to do. Okay. And I I say it's a shutdown word. So we work with companies and businesses about the power of language. So if you say something's hard, it is literally a full stop. Like the body language, yeah. big it. exhale, yeah. this hard. I'm not getting excited about hard. So it's a bit of a it's a bit of a comedy. It's become a bit of fun now. Um is that we just say in our family, if something's challenging, so you're not allowed to say hard. And to the extent where I said something was hard, and I think Lucas was doing something, I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and he's like, you said the word. You said the, and he was going, ha, 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 ha. and he was like, I can't say it, Dad. <laughs> it was quite a funny thing around the dinner table. I was like, oh yeah, sorry. But um, if something's challenging, like you, you get up for a challenge, mm. like there's something to do you if something's challenging. Yeah. There's no, normally something good at the end of a challenge. Um, it starts to make you think you've got to do something. So the use of language is really important. Um, two examples in the football world, the amount of times that at grassroots level, I've heard people talk to their kids as if they're on match of the day <laughs> or they're talking to an adult team. Like... Um, jockey and all these terms that we know mm. but like a child you're like does that child know that term <laughs> that you're using um <clears throat> and they're you're talking to them really well really t- if you were talking to an adult team but they're looking up and no idea what you're talking like. about but in the moment you're using this jargon and words they're like i have no idea what you're talking about um and then the other one was we were lucky enough to go to the liverpool academy and I was watching the coaches, looking at the setup, and it was brilliant. And I probably don't talk about this as much as I should or tell as many. I use it as a story in the corporate world. But the Liverpool coaches, when they were talking to the players in the game, they were saying to them, can we play? Can we skill? Can we move? Okay. So they weren't telling them to do that. Mm. They were asking them. So the player on the pitch was hearing, can we move? 
and they're already thinking, oh yeah, that's a yeah. good question. Like, can I move? Can I skill? Can I look up? Can I pass? So I just thought that talk about the power of language. You're then getting a thoughtful, aware child on the pitch that they're looking around them. They're looking, and obviously this is quite a, what was Lucas? I think it was under five, under six, under seven-ish. <clears throat> and if they're doing that from that age, and you're talking to them like that, a couple of years, and that habit comes in, doesn't mm. it? That they're, they're aware, they're looking, and I've been lucky enough to play on Monday night with some players that are semi-pro or they've done some good standard of football. Not at Premier League, but that made me think, actually. I was thinking if that person's is impressed me that much and blown me away about how much time they've got on the ball, <laughs> how much their skill level is, like just imagine what the next step up is to like maybe two or three rungs into the Premier League. Because mm. um, it is that, they talk about the under 1%, don't they? It's just phenomenal if you're able to be part of that or see that for real, not even watch it, because obviously yeah. you get to see it, don't they? Um but yeah, so the the use of language is so powerful. Um, and I think for parents, I've had to do it in the last year just to get yourself to stop and think, mm. like, how am I going to communicate? What am I currently doing? Even like body language on the side of the pitch. Yeah. It just it needs your child to look at you once and, and it can have a big effect on them. Mm. I don't get that right at all. I, I actually, last weekend had to stand in between two pitches with a bit of a distance from one and a bit of a distance from another. And I thought, that this is brilliant. Mm. I was doing it logistically to keep an eye on two of my children. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but I was like, I quite enjoyed this because you don't feel like you have to say anything. Well, you can't say anything mm. unless you really raise your voice and yeah, try yeah. be like, who's this guy? Um, but you, you saw... I still think about the some of the pictures you see of professional players sitting on the side watching their kids play. You think they'd even be worse than a, a parent, yeah. but they yeah. understand the process. Mm. They know what is beneficial. They've been they've gone through it themselves. They've been yeah. coached, um, and that that's the thing, isn't it? That is your child coachable. That's what's I believe that's what scouts are looking for as well. Mm. Yeah, like, is this child coachable? Um, in our world, is a CEO of a business, are they coachable? Because if they're not, we we hopefully, we don't want to be working with them Yeah, because we don't want to have that forced relationship. Um, and then when you look at the company, you were saying before about companies where you think there is a bit of a miss, missed opportunity to create a great culture, a great team. You think, well, it is led by certain individuals mm. and it has a big impact. Yeah. I think that that coachable side of it comes in from the language and the communication where you've got kids being asked questions rather than giving commands and then that invokes thought rather than sort of that's the next step, that's the next step, that's an instruction that I must go there, I must do this. Mm. It's, okay, well, what else might I be able to do? And the language, the body language, because obviously there's that famous picture of um, like it's Suarez and Messi watching yes, their kids that play. That was one I was and thinking And they're literally, about. they're just in deck chairs. <laughs> uh, they're probably not drinking beers, but, yeah. you know, just sat there drinking and, and relaxed where, again, just incites to a child that you've got freedom. You've mm. got that ability to go and make mistakes. You've got that ability to go and do things really well without us 
as parents having to heap any kind of pressure on you. The other famous one is uh, Robin Van Persie from the High Performance where he's talking about the coaches don't like me, they don't do this, you know, they're blah, blah, blah. And Robin Van Persie turns around, doesn't he? And he goes, I've heard you blame every single person, but you haven't looked at what you've done. Yeah. He said, I'm your dad, your mother's your mother. We're here to love you. We're not here to... And because I think he asked him, he said, dad, what do I do? And he said, don't ask me. He said, you ask your coach. Mm. <laughs> he said, it's... It's got nothing to do with me. I my job is to love you and support you in whatever you want to do. Yeah. And that that little phrase was powerful to me because it's like I don't I don't really care whether you want to play football or not. I just love you and want to support you and help you yeah. be the best you can be. But the other little takeaway was why you blaming every single person, but you haven't asked any questions of yourself. You haven't asked any questions of could I have ran that little bit harder? Could I have maybe thought a little bit differently about it? And when we went before about asking children questions of how they think they've performed, giving them the ownership over their own performances, because you want children to take responsibility and accountability because that's not just within football or sporting circumstances. That's that's life circumstances where when they get to college and GCSEs and stuff, it's if they, hypothetically if someone were to fail it's oh, i didn't study hard enough and, and i know that and i should have done it myself whereas oh the teacher was rubbish that you know i didn't get enough support i didn't get this that and the other. obviously there's going to be factors but just that accountability of wanting to do better and it from a sport point of view i think that's really important there's, you, you um, remind me i forgot about the van persie the yeah. high performance podcast and it reminded me about some of the things that are out there now for resources so I, I don't think I've really found anything yet where obviously I've got my own podcast. I love learning and developing myself. This is one of the reasons why when you were asking people to call on here, I was like, yeah, of course. This is one of the things mm. I love having a conversation around. Um, but there's so many resources now for us to have insights into high-performing teams, to have that education piece. There's a lot of, I love the behind the scenes mm. Um, there's the ones of the football. I love watching the ones of the American football. I saw one of Bentley recently. So Bentley Motors, like what happens behind the scenes of a high-performing team. Um, I have a fortunate situation where I've got a few associates at Olympians. I love having that conversation about what did the 1% margin gain and high performance look like for you. And it's quite amazing when you actually look behind what that Olympic gold medal means yeah. and, and what sacrifices. I know they say about, oh, it's a sacrifice, it's a four-year cycle. But I don't think until you have a conversation with that person about how much of a sacrifice that is. Um, to the extent, I'll tell you a quick story, Mark Hunter, one of our associates, um, Olympic gold medalist in um, Coxless um, pairs rowing, Um he actually retired after getting a gold in Beijing and came back for the Olympic 2012 because <clears throat> somebody that he was coaching alongside, so there's nothing like a home Olympic. So he, he came out, but he actually sat his, his girlfriend at the time, but wife now, luckily, um, and actually had a, a nice conversation said, I am a different person. Mm. Like, you know me now, but if I go back <laughs> into the Olympic cycle, I am a different person. And I just thought that was really powerful when he yeah. said that and we were having a conversation about it because I said, what what sort of things? And I was thinking about the cycling, the marginal gains of 
you've got to do certain things and be really strict with diet, nutrition, sleep and all that. But when he actually said, I'm a different person, I had to have a conversation with my then girlfriend. And and it wasn't almost like a, an ask, mm. like I'm doing this. Yeah. Like you, you're either in with me or not. So that's really powerful. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's that support system. I mean, you look at the most successful people in the world, they have fantastic support systems around you. And the reason why they are successful is because, A, they've probably not been told um, to do things in a certain way. They've been told and encouraged to do things their own way. I think you, you look at it as going back to combat sports, like Conor McGregor, for everything Conor McGregor is, he is a bit of a an athlete that broke the mould in terms of the way he did things, the way he... He had that championship mindset and his his family as well was the big one. Like his mm-hmm. his 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 wife supporting him through thick and thin. I mean, from your side and my side, my partner, my wife, I I left a a, a normal job really to pursue a passion of coaching football full time. Most people would have probably turned around and gone, no, stick to your J job, we'll pay our bills, pay our mortgage, we'll do a, B, and C, and we'll stay safe and secure. My at the end of the day, my partner just went right. No, okay, we do it, and that's got to be the same as as what you do for your children. It's got to be again back to Robin Van Persie. My job is to love you and support you, mm-hmm. whether good, bad, and different. We're here to to help you along and support you, no matter what you do, and stop barking orders at your kids. Stop acting as if they're pro athletes. In terms of grassroots football, they're not. They're kids who just want to have play and fun. And like you said about the language before, telling people to jockey and, you know, get into a mid block, go and press this, that, and the other. Well, has the coach actually told them how to do that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> has the coach actually given them that instruction or are they asking them to do two separate things? Or that they might be telling them that. There might be a different mm. language pattern that they're yeah. using and they go, actually, that. I don't know it as that. Mm. So that's when you're then confusing players. You just remind me about one of the things we spoke about just before about setting people up for success and mm. um, help nurturing the process. Um, we had the situation of Lucas getting scouted and going to Everton for 10 weeks, which was great. Um, but we spoke about it as a family like that. We just talked about it. It's a great opportunity to get coached at that level. Um, he we invested a little bit in some coaching um, with a um, like a, an academy because I think when we what was the story? So we we came back to this area, we we joined a club and the second ever game we played as a team. There happened to be United scout there and they came back the next week to watch him. And we as you big United fans and round <laughs> here it's Everton Liverpool. <laughs> it was like. What are the chances of that? Yeah, and and there was a little bit of excitement because we'd never really been in this world of football and what it means. We were like, what are the chances? <laughs> so that didn't go anywhere, which was fine. We didn't tell Lucas. We, chose, yeah. we decided not to tell him um, to put the pressure on, or just at the time. Uh, <clears throat> and I think it, on reflection, it was the right thing to do. But he's obviously got a little bit of a knack of football, and we've always said about it's an opportunity to get coached to that level. Like it's not, you've made it, 
well done, kind of like you're you're the chosen one. <laughs> it's just, but I say that laughing because I I think some parents do do that. Absolutely, they do. Um, and it just manages expectation early on of that this is a long journey. I, I can see the boys all and Bella just loving the process of a team, a sport, bit of commitment and focus and linking if that does go anywhere brilliant that's got i think it's too early i know children are getting picked up and signed lucas plays in a team where they're all at liverpool and city and and it's great and we talk about that isn't it great that you get to play with players like this and the opportunity to play at any level where you're surrounded by really good players i love i go out there to try and play players at racket sports at football where I, I, I golf, I've just taken up golf the last couple of years and I love playing p- uh, players who are better than me because mm. I can listen to how they're reading the course, looking at how they're striking the ball and I can take on all that information. So I think, and linking back to storytelling, I talk about that when I come home. I go, I'll play somebody who's really good and I was really bad today. <laughs> and and that acknowledgement that I'm on a journey of learning a skill. Mm. Um, so the kids are more likely to share their journey of like, we did this in training. So I'm really interested in what they did or well, their perception of what they did at training. Um, it might be completely different to what I saw from the other side, but it's got nothing to do with me. Mm. Um, I'm not going to go, are you sure that's what you did? Like, that's mm. not what I saw. It doesn't matter what I saw. It's what you got from the training session. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think that there, was, there was two words in there that were a big takeaway. And it's how to manage, manage expectation. So children are obviously going to be excited that they've been invited into somewhere. They're going to be made up that the performances have gotten them to a a level that that's a possibility. Now, as a parent, you've probably seen it a number of times where children are given that opportunity. And like we said before, dads and mums, families are pushing and they're like, you've got to do this now. You've got to do this. I mean, there's stories of a lad being asked to go in for 10 weeks at like Liverpool and Everton. And his dad's got him a dietitian, and he's got him doing X amount of one-to-ones a week. And mm-hmm. you're like, that's just going to, that's just going to put him off playing football because what happens when he fails? So we talk about setting kids up for success. What about setting them up for failure? I mean, my personal thoughts on, on academies is they need, children need emotional intelligence and parents need emotional intelligence to deal with what outcomes, good or bad, happen from those next steps. And at, at seven and eight, being asked not to go back to somewhere where the parents probably built up that expectation, that can be crippling for a kid. Mm. I coach an under 15 side and we've had a, we had a lad in pre-season. He'd been at Liverpool for about five years. He'd been at, he, he then got released. He'd been at Wigan and a couple of different clubs. He came and played the pre-season because all his mates play for our team. And um, he didn't come back. It was his first little dip back into football. He'd had mm. a year out and he'd had a dip back into football as mates. Like, why don't you come play? We're over it. We're a good standard. We're, we, you know, we're, we're a good team. He played one game and his head fell off again. And he, he, his dad, his dad wasn't so much pushy. He didn't come across as that type <laughs> of parent. He came across mm. as you do what you feel like you need to do. But he just fell completely out of love with the game because 
he'd been probably pushed from pillar to post, whether it be by coaches or he'd not been set up to deal with that that sort of letting go, that initial mm. sort of, okay, well, you're not quite good enough for maybe here, but try here and, and stuff like that. And parents, if they know how to deal with it and say, look, you're going in, you've got the opportunity here to play with better players, improve yourself. You've got the opportunity to be coached by better professional coaches. That's teaching you how to be coachable and enjoy the experience for what it is. I've told um, told the story before. One of one of our players got invited into Stoke and that ex- that's exactly what happened with him. And because he was in that setup, he came back to grassroots to our team and he was a much better player for it. Mm. Much better player for it because his parents had con- controlled what the outcome would have been, whether it be X, Y, and Z. Now, it stoked when he came out. He was given a report on what to do. Mm-hmm. And that to me was quite telling because it's okay. Here, here, well, I read the report. It was here are all the good things you've done and here are the things that need to be potentially improved and a couple of, mm-hmm. and it was literally, it was bullet points with a, the smallest little bit of detail, but concise detail as if to say, yeah, actually, I actually know that that's, that's what we need to do. But that, that management of expectation, management of, of, I don't want to say failure, but that sort of outcome that wasn't really desired. And the other way as well, because if a parent gets through another stage where they go into like an RTC or they go into a main group, uh, like an academy, that could probably be worse because you're like, yeah, I've gotten through this bit. Mm. But then there's like the next bit and yeah. the year after, you could just be gone, yeah, it's not quite working out. We feel that this, 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 and this. And then how do you manage that? Mm. Is there is there a theory that you maybe have within your business that, that kind of can help with that? Yeah, <clears throat> as you were saying then, I kind of, again, I think the focus needs to shift. So it was very evident and it becomes quite evident that the skill level is shared by lots of people. And what I mean by that is you might have a child that's standing out at grassroots, then you go into a bigger pool, I'm sorry, a smaller pool, but you don't realize how big that is of players who are also very good at what they do and they're coachable and are skillful and have that. So we talk a lot about, um, like the people skills aspect. And I've, again, I've, because of I love this subject and I go out there to speak and connect with people that are in this world, it's quite interesting when you speak to scouts about what they are actually looking for. And it's that people skill mm-hmm. is how they hold themselves. Um, I spoke to a gentleman who'd been at Man City for a long time and spoke about, um, they brought somebody into City several years ago and he could tell that he wasn't going to make it because the body language he had on the pitch when they took him on. And then 18 months down the line, he left because of a attitude. And it's amazing when you look at the, they're not looking like if, if you've got the skill, that's great. There's lots of people who've got the skill. I always see um, or acknowledge or just have a little look at when people are, the behavior is a big thing, um, how they're communicating with their parents. The scouts look at parents, how they're showing up and turning up on the sideline. And um, when you have that interaction and 
we've not had that much, but I've heard that they do ask critical questions. Mm-hmm. Not critical questions, that's the wrong thing, but they will ask questions about what's your background, what what's what's in it for you. And and you can tell by having a simple conversation when you actually say, Oh, I've spotted your child, um, allow them to come to whatever club it is. They're they're measuring, they're they're actually um, conscious of your reaction and I'm not telling people to go and be robots mm. but they are looking at behaviour body language whether you when a ball goes out do you run after it do you shake a voice hand when, mm. when you finish the game um, are you talking nurturing on, on the on the sideline are, are you when you're off the pitch are you watching the game or are you messing around so all when you when you look at the fine details of that of course, people will be looking at that because why wouldn't they? Mm. It's not just whether your child can kick a ball from A to B or whether they can go around that player. <clears throat> That's the fundamentals that they just expect, and then that will show. It's have you got all the other elements of it? Um, it's quite funny because <clears throat> both the boys, for some reason, um, are looking for leadership on the on the football field. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know where they got this from. <laughs> um, but they're they're really keen to be the the player who will pick out and help like mark mark them or the their their visibility on the field is really good um to talk to their teammates obviously they don't always that's one of the things that is quite frustrating for the coaches and one of the um teams at the minute is boys can you, you talk to each other before and after the game and you shout and scream why you just go mute when you're playing so to help each other out and nurture that um but they will be good at communicating and being sort of like a figure of um, not just in it for themselves, mm. in it for the team as well. So yeah. um, it's quite funny with my background in leadership. Yeah. <laughs> you, going forward and as they get a little bit older, because obviously Lucas is a really good player of coach Lucas. Would you, would you see, do you, or can you see sort of skills in them now that you think when they get to like 13, 14, if they continue playing football, they'd be like, yeah, they're going to be good leaders. Can you can you spot a natural leader or is it something that can be developed? Good question. <laughs> <laughs> it's always something that's developed. Mm. Um, you have that um, nature-nurture argument. I think I don't really sit anywhere on that. I just think that wherever you do sit on that, it can be developed. I think it's a scale. Yeah. Um, I, I think, again, we're more interested as parents that the transferable skills and whatever they do decide to do, whatever the future holds, because um, you can't say what, they, they can't be putting stuff in their yeah. resume and, and looking at like, this is where you're going to be at, at, at 11, this is where you're going to be at 13. You, you don't know. Yeah. And I think the more you think about the end result, the more then you're taking away from the journey to get there. Mm. And the actual end result is what it is. You can't control that unless you start manipulating. And, and it made me laugh when you said about having a dietitian when <laughs> you get in. But again, it's amazing how then, I think that's where I said about, I think we all as parents need to just stop and think and have that moment of, because we can all react. Everybody has that reaction yeah. that is not necessarily mm. the best reaction. Um. But if we can speed that thought process up of actually, just wait a minute, this is what I would like to say, but it's probably not going to be the best thing right now. <clears throat> it's quite evident on on both, um, well, all the stuff we've done, 
is that creating that real, and this is good for coaches, parents alike at grassroots, is creating a great environment mm. that goes from the coach to the player and also the parents. So we've got a great relationship with other parents. So I think it's a bit, un. I think we've just naturally done it, but we know that our children and some of the characters in some of the teams, that they will listen to other parents and they will obviously rather than my feedback, I'll be like, I really enjoy the fact that other parents will give feedback or again, developmental feedback. Like we need to really focus on this. I think it's really important. It comes from the coach, not from me. Um, Cause then if you build that environment of trust and we're all on the same path of getting better, developing you, you then have them listening to that and, and you don't need to say you can think it, but it's actually coming from multiple streams. And I think we can all identify with that, that you can be the most knowledgeable person about a subject, but your child will not be taken just because of the na- the nurture of your, mm. their parent. Mm. Um, it's just a, an unwritten rule of life, isn't it? That at some point further down the line, um, you get more inputs. Yeah. Um, but again, suppose that's what I was saying about, I'm always, I'm already setting up that, and it doesn't happen all the time. Don't get me wrong. It sounds like I'm like robotic and like high performance. It's not that at all. But I think reflecting, doing this podcast, thinking about having that conversational style, mm. having that interest in what's going on, will just further on down the line, open up more conversations between parent and child. And it's not necessarily just sports like school. They're more likely to have conversations with me about what they're doing at school because I'm interested in them asking questions. I'm not mm. pushing it. Um, I'm still uh, I'm still critical of myself when I fall into the trap of saying to them on the way home from school, how was your day? And they just go, yeah, fine. <laughs> so I haven't cracked that one yet. Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I automatically just say that. I'm thinking, why am I saying that? Because it's just such a rubbish question. Because yeah. They're not good. They're just, yeah, fine. And I'm like, oh, I've done it again. Yeah. <laughs> I've not cracked that one yet. I'm open <laughs> to suggestions. Um, but like anything, I'm, I'm conscious that asking somebody straight after school questions about what they got from it, what the favorite, it's not the right time. Yeah. They need to decompress. decompress. <laughs> they do need yeah. to decompress. They just need a little bit. Because I said to myself, I'm not, I don't want to be that parent where I'm in the car and I don't say anything. But then actually there is great value in that silence sometimes because mm. growing up, I sometimes saw parent-child relationships from a distance and they can, oh, isn't that, they're not talking to each other. I don't mm. want to be that dad. Yeah. But then I understand now. Yeah. Obviously that's a, I'm just passing watching that. <laughs> that yeah. could be a really important moment just to be like, right, just you need to have your own thoughts. So mm. I'm, I'm, I'm working on that at the minute with regards to they come home from school, <laughs> just like let them come home, just enjoy, get, decompress take the just have some time out yeah. um but it's always that bedtime isn't it i think people couldn't resonate with that they suddenly start telling you everything about the day <laughs> when you're saying right it's like that now it's bedtime but, um, but again right uh, who am i to then shut them down from that yeah it's like yeah. that if that's the time that's the time isn't yeah. it to give and again child focused yeah um without taking the mic too much <laughs> yeah they're still comfortable enough to come and talk to you as well because let's face it when they get to teenagers and they zip up 
that's it's it's going to be hard yet again, yeah. isn't it? Well, I think my um, in-laws say that that you lose them, and my brother and sister are older than me, and they've I've got two nieces, two nephews, um, who are in their twenties, nearly thirty now, and um, it is. I think you lose them for a little bit, yeah, and then you get them back again. Yeah. But I still think what you do now, and I'm in from five to eleven with four of them. Um, I think what you do now builds the fundamentals of what that's going to be like. Yeah. I yeah. think you can't control it. I think you can just build the foundations of making it a little bit better. Mm. I don't know yet. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I found it. I haven't, I haven't got a child in our team or anything. I, I was an external coach, but I noticed when our team went through 12, 13, yeah, 12 and 13 was a rough period because you're asking these kids when they turn up to training, you know, how's school going? Everyone enjoying their half terms? What are you up to? And I've always took an approach of, you know, I'll, I, I'm, I'm, I'm there for the guys. I'm there for the team. I'm there for the players. But those two years when they, they hit teenagers and they were in that second, third year of high school and social circles are maybe getting that little bit smaller they're they're finding it awkward to make conversation. You, you're having to pull pull questions and answers out of them. But then when they get to our kids are under 15s now, and we've got some of the most outgoing kids who've obviously been with us for a long time. Mm-hmm. And it's it's you turn up and it's like a playground on a Tuesday now because they're all they all understand the of, of what what's required of them at training. But when yeah. there's little breaks and transitions during practices. Like we've got some absolute nutters in the team and sh- they don't half make you laugh. <laughs> and at that age, like this is my first time coaching this age group. I've done open age and I've done youngers all the way through, but this age group's really fun because you yeah. can have a laugh with, the, you can have a laugh with the team. You can, you can enjoy it. My, my um, assistant manager's daughter used to play with us up until under 13s and she took a bit of a breakaway because socially it was probably the right time for her. In terms of her development within football, she went and played women's football, which had done her good. And she's come back this year. And I've noticed the difference where she's come back into the group and it's it's like a different group now. They're all happy to see her. They're all enjoying the company. And you think you've grown up from just those two years, you've grown up so much. Mm. And it's straight, not strange. It's really fun to see that development of how they've done it socially. Uh, yeah. And and in a football sense as well. Yeah. So I think you've got all that to look for. <laughs> I can't wait. Stuart, this, is, uh, this has been fantastic, mate. I've I've loved this conversation. Yeah, so and have I, I. And I said before, and I thought this would probably go a little bit longer than the other ones, but yeah, I've really enjoyed it, mate. Thank you very much for coming yeah, on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Oh, or if you want to check out Stuart's podcast, do you want to do you want to give us your details? Yeah, so the podcast is hashtag leadership. What's on your mind? Um, you can either watch us on YouTube or listen to us across Spotify, iTunes. I think there's seven different ones you can do it on. Yeah, but um, yeah, yeah. There's three or four episodes on there that if if you are running your own business and you are you are looking to even just improve a little bit knowledge and expand your education, I, I'd highly recommend it. But Stuart, thank you very much, mate. It's been fantastic. Thank Cheers. you very much. Get social at the Grassroots Network on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.